It seems uh, days and days ago, but it was only Tuesday when we heard about the federal budget and what was in it. One of the things that we were looking for was some sort of help or announcement on affordable housing and helping those in a housing crisis, whether it be future buyers or renters. And we brought in Max Fawcett, uh, lead columnist for Canada's National Observer, to talk about affordable housing and the budget. And there was a lot to unpack, but I felt at the time that we didn't spend enough time at that point talking about what Max Fawcett uh, so nicely outlined in Canada's National Observer, the fact that young people are about to get screwed by the budget and did. That uh, following the budget, that's the headline in the National Observer, not my words, theirs. So I thought, you know what, let's bring back Max. And he kindly agreed to join us again. And with that set up, uh, Max, thanks so much for being back with us. Happy to be back. Thanks for having me on again. You know, we did talk a little bit about affordable housing, but uh, getting to the people that really have to look for some sort of inspiration, I guess, from government when it comes to help, uh, young people really didn't get much, did they? No, it was a pretty big goose egg on the housing front. Um, you know, there, there was uh, the creation of a previously announced uh, savings account for, for your down payment for your house, uh, which you know, uh, that, I guess that helps people that, that are able to save a lot of money. It, it does feel like it's sort of helping the people who don't really need the help, but uh, it was a measure that was in there. But in terms of transformational investments in, you know, public housing uh, or policies that would bring housing prices down to the point where they would become more affordable, meaningful support for renters, none of that was in there. And, you know, if, you, if you're a young person who's trying to make your way in the world and, and trying to build a build a life with your family, have kids, whatever it might be, this stuff is really dispiriting. You know, it's really dispiriting to watch rents go up 30% in a year, which is what ha- what has happened in many markets in Canada. You know, it's just dispiriting to look at houses and see that the cheapest ones are all seven figures, as as is the case in you know Toronto and Vancouver and some other markets. It's just it's it's a real gut punch and. You know, Pierre Polyev, uh, you know, conservatives don't generally do that well with uh, younger voters, but Pierre Polyev is talking about this issue in a way that I think is really connecting with a lot of people. And the liberals need to be careful not to take those votes for granted because, you know, if you're a young person and you, you look at your housing situation and, and see how dire it is, maybe you're going to roll the dice and just say, you know what, let's give this guy a shot. At least he's talking about the things I care about in a way that resonates with me. Well, I think there was a big disconnect here, and I know that something had to be done about affordable housing, and it seemed like the big headline out of it, if there was any headline to be gained from this, was the fact that uh, you're going to be able to contribute this $40,000 and uh, the up the amount that you can contribute into a fund to help you with your down payment. That doesn't mean anything in terms of the price of housing, not even in Vancouver or Toronto, I'm talking about any cities uh, in the country, maybe save uh, Regina or Saskatoon. Yeah, it's tr- it's true. And, and, you know, one of the problems is everything that the government seems to want to do on housing pushes the price of housing up, right? Uh, you know, it's supportive of demand. So, you know, if, if people are able to save more for the down payment, well, that makes prices go up. If people are able to... Uh, you know, extend their amortization as was done under the Harper government. That tends to make housing prices go up. So everything that that is billed as help 
is helping people in their individual situations, perhaps, but in the overall picture, it just keeps putting more fuel on the fire. And at some point we have to have a conversation. I think, you know, we should have had it a long time ago, but now is as good as any about what we do to put the fire out. And that's going to require people to, to come to terms with the fact that house prices might go down. They okay, might go if down we, a lot. If we have that conversation, Max, what uh, would be some of the things that the government has to get a little bit more in touch with? And I'm not just talking this liberal government. I mean, a government of any political stripe. What do they have to figure out here? Well, there's definitely the supply side. So the governments have to be a little more thoughtful and aggressive on ensuring that that local concerns, you know, not in my backyardism, uh, as it's called, does not get in the way of building more supply. You know, we're not building enough houses in this country. I think everyone has come around to that position, uh, liberal or conservative, and, and we need to throw as much money and political resources at, as, at that as possible. And again, Pierre Poiliev is sounding a lot more credible on that front than, than the government is right now. But we also have to have a conversation about, and this is very dangerous politically, but but the capital gains in our homes that we're allowed to accrue without paying taxes on them. You know, we have we have an unlimited amount of free capital gains in our homes. And for some people, that's millions of dollars. And, you know, I am I have written about it many times. I think we should be considering something where it's a lifetime limit, you know, maybe five hundred thousand, maybe less, maybe more, but a lifetime limit on your capital gains so that you can't use it to keep buying homes, speculating, uh, you know, doing transactions, whatever it might be, there's a limit to how much wealth you can extract from your house. And I think that would definitely have an impact on prices, but it would also, you know, introduce some fairness into the system, both for new buyers and for young people who don't have parents uh, with, with homes with lots of capital gains in them. You know, the housing market right now, in many respects, just reinforces the inequality that's already present in our society. And, and the government has a you know, responsibility to do something about that. Well, let's talk about that inequality, because I would agree with you, Max, and say the housing market is set up for people that have external help, not based on their income. Uh, the average person, I don't know if it's average or not, but the, the person who is younger, who is just making a normal wage, even a professional wage, has gone through education and uh, accrued a lot of debt doing it, is not going to be able to have any chance of buying a house in this country. Are we ever going no. to be able to square that? You know, I'm not sure that we can get all of the toothpaste back in the tube on that front. You know, it's not like we can make Vancouver house prices go back to where they were in the 1990s or the 1980s. I'm not sure we would want to, quite frankly. But we need to create some path to security of tenure for people so that, you know, maybe you don't come, you know, maybe whether you're a new Canadian, whether you're a young Canadian, maybe you don't have to buy. Maybe there's a system in place or, or some sort of structure where you can rent or you, you live in a co-op. I grew up in a co-op. Uh, it was great, but we didn't build any equity, right? That's the trade-off. And, and the government got out of the co-op game in the 90s uh, and never got back into it. And, I, you know, the, the federal government has sort of dipped its toe in that water in the last few years. But it needs to do more than dip its toe. It needs to jump in with both feet. And I think that would be a very meaningful way to give people more options. Um, you know, certainly some focus on rentals and making long-term rentals uh, at least more predictable uh, in terms of what people are going to pay for them. But at the, you know, at the end of the day, if, if, if more and more of your budget goes towards housing, that's less and less you can spend on going out to restaurants, on vacations, on 
a whole bunch of other businesses that our economy depends on. And it makes it really difficult for you to build wealth and build a life for yourself. And, and that's what this country should be striving towards achieving. Everyone should have the opportunity to make their lives better. And the housing market right now in a lot of parts of the country is actively interfering with that. Oh, for sure. And it's that percent that concerns me because it really is going in the wrong direction. I remember 15 years ago, I moved from being a renter, having a very nice apartment in Steveston overlooking the water, 600 square feet. And at the time, my rent was roughly equivalent to buying a townhouse in Surrey and uh, with a monthly mortgage. It'd be about the same. Well, fast forward to 15 years later, I can't find anyone that's paying anywhere near as uh, in rent, anyone that's paying anywhere near what I'm paying for a mortgage. They're paying way more, not just in Vancouver, but even in the suburbs. It's ridiculous. And I don't think that this is being figured out by government. How do we reverse that? Well, we need people to put it at the top of their ballots. Um, you know, honestly, politicians respond to incentives. They, they do things because they think that doing those things will help them get elected or stay elected. And I think for better or worse, uh, housing has kind of slipped down the list for a lot of people, uh, for a lot of politicians. They, they don't think that it's as important as I think it is. And, you know, if, you, if, if young people who are most directly affected by this, who are, who are feeling the brunt of, of this housing market and the issues that it creates for them, if they show up to the ballot box and they put this on the top of their vote, uh, they, will, they will shake things up and politicians will react. And so, you know, that would sort of be my message is, you know, if you're a young person uh, who, who is troubled by this, put aside your partisan commitments. You know, I voted this in the last election or I voted that. Listen to what the politicians are actually saying about housing and how they're going to help you and vote accordingly. Um, you have to be willing to send a message. Well, that may scare a lot of politicians if they come to that reality that maybe some of the votes they've always counted on aren't going to be there. Max, when it comes to uh, building supply, uh, do we have to change our ideas about how people live, especially if they're young? I think so. I, I mean, I think the, the certainly in, in cities like Vancouver and Toronto, where there's just not a ton of land, you know, the idea that everyone gets a white picket fence and a backyard and a single family home is not realistic. Uh, there's just so much demand to be in those cities and there's a finite amount of space. The only direction you can go up is up. Uh, so, you know, I think we do need to think about living in, in smaller spaces in, you know, which are, by the way, way better for the environment and all sorts of other great things. But we have to build amenities around that that make it worthwhile. You know, I, I don't think young people should be asked to accept a lower quality of life just because, uh, you know, we can't build enough housing. So, you know, if we're building these big condo projects, if we're building, uh, you know, multi-level mixed use uh, sort of uh, structures, we need to ensure there's public amenities nearby, you know, parks, schools, uh, grocery stores, all that stuff, transit, so that living that way is attractive. And I think, you know, we're seeing some good signs on that front, but we need to do more. We need to see more investment. Uh, in the infrastructure around those those choke points. And then, by the way, we need to be willing to stand up to the community associations and the sort of established homeowners who will inevitably complain about any tall structure being built near them. You yeah. know what? Too bad. Too bad. You know, you've made a bag of money by virtue of just living where you live and sitting on land. 
you don't get to tell other people how they get to live as well. And you definitely don't get to tell them that they can't afford to have a, uh, a roof over their own head. Okay, well, so we too need- bad, so sad, and uh, bye-bye view. Um, but, uh, yep. Max Fawcett, uh, you, uh, full credit to you. You're great with following this as a topic. What is the next angle you'll be looking into? On housing, um, I'm I'm looking into the the role that immigration is playing. To be honest with you, um, you know I think I think there is a real risk right now that the the housing market and the pain that it's inflicting on a lot of people is going to cause people to look at immigration less favorably than they have in the past, and that would be a huge loss for Canada. Our attitude towards immigration, we are the most tolerant, welcoming country on earth. I think when it comes to bringing other people in is a huge economic advantage for us. It's a huge social advantage. It makes life richer uh, in any number of ways. But if people start asking questions about why we're letting so many people in because it's driving house prices up, there's a real risk that, that bad faith actors can weaponize that. They can turn that into anti-immigration sentiment. And, and we, we backslide. And I don't want to see that. So, you know, I, I think our politicians need to understand that, that the housing crisis is going to spill over into other areas uh, if they don't take action immediately. Max Fawcett, looking forward to that, and always a good read. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Bruce. Anytime.